Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in this space and help lead the charge toward a more decentralized web. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unstoppable Podcast. I'm your host, Diana Chen, and I'm here today with our guest, People Pleaser. You guys all heard of her. She sort of rose to fame in a way when she dropped the Uniswap V3 video, the launch promo video. She sold it as an NFT for 310 Ethereum, which at the time of the sale, I think was around half a million dollars. And another really cool thing about this is that a DAO was formed specifically for the purpose of purchasing this NFT. And all of the proceeds were donated to AAPI charities. So I'm really excited to talk to People Pleaser and ask her about her process and this entire crazy whirlwind journey that she's gone on. Um, so, hey, People Pleaser, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> I guess I just want to go back to before this Uniswap V3 launch promo video exploded. Who were you before all of this happened? How long have you been making videos and art? And when did you start learning about crypto and NFTs and sort of bridging the gap between art and crypto? So my journey into crypto sort of started in 2017, the the whole ICO Boom. I definitely was holding some, you know, not DeFi coins back then. I had known about Bitcoin and Ethereum as well in 2017. And I'd known about Bitcoin since college, actually, but obviously I never bought any. And then in 2017, crypto really caught my attention. But I think a common beginner mistake is thinking that uh, both Bitcoin and Ethereum are either too popular or too expensive. And then so you go and try and find the next gem or something. And then so that's how I found, you know, all these other random 2017 coins like VeChain, um, Cardano, IOTA, <laughs> you name it. And so that's sort of how I got um, interested in crypto. And then I've just been sitting on the sidelines sort of speculating since 2017. And then I, you know, was very, very passive until uh, last summer, which was DeFi summer. And then sort of like the crazy yields in DeFi summer kind of caught my attention again. And then um, I also at the same time noticed that there was a lack of creative expression and talent within the um, marketing space of uh, DeFi and crypto in general, actually. I thought that, oh, well, a great way for me to sort of contribute to the space and also learn about it at the same time would be to put my uh, skill set to use. Actually, I've been making art uh, for quite a while before that. So, I mean, I've been making art ever since I was in, well, what, ever since I was young. Um, I love to draw and, I mean, anything art related, even listening to music and stuff. And I, I did some painting in high school. Um, but then when I was in college, I had watched Wally e um, in my freshman year and then decided that uh, 3D animation was something that I'd be interested in pursuing. And then so outside of class um, in university, I would sort of take go down this rabbit hole on the internet and watch all these tutorials and then teach myself basically how to um, do 3D. And then so after college, I was pretty much 
uh, working in the space as an artist ever since. And then so I worked on um, a bunch of visual effects and 3D stuff for movies and um, feature animation. And then also uh, at, at game cinematics, like for Blizzard, worked on the Diablo 4 cinematic um, that debuted at BlizzCon in 2019. That part of the journey was sort of just um, really like sharpening my skills and um, learning everything technically that I needed to know. Um, and then expressing myself uh creatively was something independent of that I think I mean obviously I was uh, helping craft you know bigger visions like for movies and stuff but in terms of um, complete creative expression I didn't really start doing until early 2020 because I accepted a job at Apple but I uh, was waiting for them to process my visa and then the pandemic happened, so USCIS kind of shut down. And then um, while I was waiting for my visa, I decided to occupy my time by doing something that I always wanted to do, which is make my own artwork. And then so I created my art Instagram called People Pleaser. Um, and then so from there, I would just start to experiment as a generalist and then just post some um, personal artworks there. And then the visa thing kind of just didn't really get anywhere um, due to the pandemic and everything just being so crazy. And then so uh, to even further occupy my time, I would just, uh, I thought I would basically um, want to contribute to the crypto space somehow. And then and one of my friends saw at the time that there was a Twitter influencer by the name of Blue Kirby who was doing marketing for Yearn Finance. And then so he had sent out a tweet um, saying that he was interested in speaking to people who were good at doing animations or videos or something. And my friend sent Blue Kirby my uh, art Instagram. And then so Blue Kirby saw my stuff and then thought that it was pretty cool. And then so he reached out to me and asked if I wanted to do something for your finance. And then so that's actually my first video that I'd ever done for any DeFi project uh, was for YF Vault, which the video never actually got released because uh, the product um, ended up being delayed and stuff. But um, yeah, so Crypto Twitter's actually never seen my first video. Ever since then, that kind of sort of ignited other things. And then I did a video for um, Pickle Finance. And then um, so one thing led to another. And then now months later, this has kind of become my job, I guess. <laughs> That is such a cool story. So were you majoring in art in college or were you completely self-taught? I ended up being in this uh, program called Design Media Arts. And they're a little bit, um, I think, diverse in the sense that um, you kind of get to dip your toes into a little bit of everything um, from front end web development to um, graphic design and typography to a little bit of maybe just After Effects, but um, never actually dabbled in any 3D in, in the major, at least for me. And then so everything um, 3D animation related, uh, I had learned outside of class. That's so cool that you're you're pretty much completely self-made. And then it's so cool how you got connected with the people at Year in Finance. And then that led to I saw you did stuff for Ave as well and Sushi Swap and you know now obviously the big Uniswap V3. That's super cool. As you were sort of, you know, getting into crypto, like 
dipping your toes in back in 2017 and then diving in deeper last summer, DeFi summer, what were some of your go-to resources for learning about the space? Like whether it's books or blogs or Twitter personalities, obviously crypto Twitter is super strong. Do you have any go-to resources that you would recommend for people listening who are just starting to dip their toes in or starting to want to get serious about learning? I definitely think that uh, crypto Twitter is my main source of information. And it's a great place to network as well. And back in 2017, I was sort of lurking. Uh, I was getting my information from Reddit, I think. And, I, you know, while it might not be inaccurate, but I think it definitely is delayed compared to the frequency that information is shooting out of crypto Twitter, for example, and, and when I compare it with yeah, because my but my my Twitter is quite new. I only made it in September of 2020, uh, so last year basically. It's about like six uh, six months old. I've learned so much about um, crypto just being on crypto Twitter and also um, networking with people. And then crypto Twitter can kind of lead birth an extension of um, Discord channels or Telegram channels that you can uh, then seek information from as well, or just you know. And I also just with my in real life friends uh, who care about crypto, there's a little group chat that we have going on as well. So those are the main um, places that I'm sourcing my information. That's awesome. I'm still trying to make some real life friends that are in a crypto or maybe convert some of my <laughs> my friends into the crypto verse. Uh, but still people out there who think, you know, you can't buy Bitcoin because you don't have, uh, you know, fifty eight thousand dollars or 60K or whatever Bitcoin's at now. And it's like, no, you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You can you can buy one dollar of Bitcoin. And it, that's something, you know, that's a lot of people still don't know about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I want to dive into the actual video that you made for the Uniswap V3 launch. You, you sort of already talked about like, how did this collaboration come about? You were already connected in the field, but like specifically, did Uniswap reach out to you? Or was it like a referral that, you know, somebody else referred you to them? Or how did you get connected with them on this project? Um, I think I, you know, at this point, definitely had a little bit of a, a name in the space already. And then also pretty high demand. But Uniswap had actually reached out to Tarun Chitra, who knows me personally. So somebody over at Uniswap, I'm pretty sure it was Teo, um, reached out to Tarun and asked um, if he could ask me if I'd be interested in working with them. Tarun shot me a text and then basically told me this. And then uh, I was like, yeah, sure. And then he um, introduced us. And then we basically, yeah, that's how it happened. How much of what went down, you know, with like, First of all, minting it as an NFT and then deciding to donate all the proceeds to charity and then designing the actual video. Like how much of that came from you versus from the Uniswap team? They were really nice about it. They gave me pretty much complete creative freedom. We had a few different ideas to begin with. I think originally I was um, uh, supposed to do a series of very, very short animations. So five to 10 seconds long each or something. And then um, there might might have been one for each um, new concept that was included in the V3 upgrades. But uh, then we sort of like pivoted into doing just one hero um, so that mainly due to time constraints. Then we figured it might be a better idea for me to just focus all of my time and energy on one hero launch video. And then so it served more of just like artistic marketing hype, essentially. And the idea to make it an NFT 
was uh, my idea um, and it came up actually sort of halfway through production already on the video. I had been devoting a lot of time to making uh, videos for DeFi protocols for the past few months. And then uh, as a result, didn't really get to uh, try my hand at a lot of the NFT stuff, especially um, since it started really blowing up since January. Um, I did uh, do a little bit of NFTs, you know, last year, but uh, I didn't really know what I was doing back then. So I would just, you know, mint really random stuff. And I had just, yeah, not a lot of sort of knowledge around how to evaluate NFTs and stuff. Yeah, halfway through the Uniswap video production, I thought that it, it actually was also sort of um, always a not dream, but just aspiration of mine to um, do an NFT drop that where the money was donated to charity. So um, in that light, I kind of sort of combined all those uh, concepts and then um, proposed it to the team at Uniswap. And they surprisingly were very supportive and just thought it was a very good idea. So they were like, yeah, totally go for it. Um, and so, yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. I do have a couple questions for you because I've had some founders of different NFT platforms on the podcast, and I've only heard it from that perspective. I've never heard it from the perspective of an actual creator. From your view as a creator, what do you see as the value of NFTs and sort of like in the long run, what that is going to bring about for the community, like both for creators and for the public as well? I definitely think for creators, uh, it recently has shed light onto this new realm of um, getting rid of the middleman or even, I think previously, you know, a lot of digital creators were just uh, displaying their art, for example, on social media and Instagram and stuff um, without really any expectation and including myself too, you know, without any expectation of monetizing that work or anything. It, it almost serves as like a visual diary and also practice and yeah, just self-expression. But then I think NFTs sort of really opened up that Pandora's box about uh, being able to monetize this. Because I think uh, it was sort of already, you know, an issue before where a lot of people would sort of like use those images taken from Instagram or something. And then, um, but the the concept of digital ownership was always very blurred, right? And then, you know, a lot of these independent artists, they're not like musicians or something where they have like a, a record uh, company that are going to hunt down, you know, like copyright laws or something. And then so I think NFTs sort of really like changed that for them. And so that's why it kind of really like blew up. And then um, in terms of the value of NFTs, I, I kind of feel like a broken record because I always say the same thing on like when I go on podcasts or something. But I really believe that. I mean, I obviously think this sort of like trade of art is great, um, but I feel like we're actually not at the sort of highest point of utility for NFTs yet. Um, and I personally believe that uh, where it really is going to sort of shine and continue to grow is actually uh, within um, gaming and the metaverse, um, which are currently kind of restricted by uh, given our hardware or internet um, or, you know, browser restrictions and stuff. But I, I think sort of as that technology continues to improve, um, we're going to see NFTs um, expand into that area as well. You're already kind of seeing it with Decentraland. But um, I mean, anybody who's ever been on something like Decentraland will understand the potential. Like, uh, I think 
sort of the hardware and everything are, are not just specific to Decentraland, but just in our current reality are not there yet. Kind of similar to how, you know, VR isn't like completely convincing that you're in another world. But I think it's definitely going to get there. And then so you can really understand the potential of NFTs um, expanding beyond just art trade, but also, you know, special abilities and characters, skins, land, um, events in the metaverse. I don't know. There's just so much that could be done there. I'm not a big gamer. And so a lot of that is still pretty new to me. But I've had some people on who are big into the gaming, the blockchain gaming space. And hearing you talk about it, too, it definitely gets me excited. And I'm looking forward to seeing where all of that goes. So uh, going back to the NFT that you made, when you were deciding which platform to sell your NFT on, what was the thought process that went behind that? You ultimately sold it on foundation. Um, it, was there a reason behind that? Or did you kind of just say, you know, they're all good. I'll just randomly pick one. <laughs> it honestly is closer to the latter. And being that uh, foundation, it sort of advertises themselves as a little bit more decentralized, um, I think uh, had a little bit of draw, but also, you know, there's other factors like that. They are a one-on-one platform, um, whereas, you know, some other platforms like Maker's Place or, you know, Nifty or th- those, you know, are, are sometimes like more suitable for open editions as well. Um, so that was factored into it. And then, uh, but yeah, otherwise it was just kind of, I think I had reached out to like a couple at the same time. And then so sort of like who got back to me or like, you know, with the other uh, reasons that I just sort of like highlighted, but it was, they're all good. I don't really have any strong opinion towards any specific one. Um, but I, I do know that OpenSea does sort of like a, a gas-free minting um, program, which is really cool and I think would be really great for artists who are just sort of like getting into the space. And then if you're, they're not really sure whether or not their stuff is going to sell, then at the very least, they're not losing money by just minting artwork. Yeah, for sure. And it'd be cool to see more platforms move towards that model in the future as well. Obviously, right now, everybody's suffering from the gas problem. But in the future, it would be, you know, ideal if the gas could be built in or, you know, so it's not like if you're minting a piece, you have to pay another price on top of it. Or same thing for consumers. If you're buying a piece, you have to pay another gas price. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. But okay, very cool. So then with deciding to donate all of the proceeds to uh, charity, couple of questions here. First of all, I know you're donating to AAPI charities. What Was there something from your experience, your background that led you to want to donate to these charities? And then um, have you decided like specifically which charities you'll be donating to? You know, I was in New York throughout the worst uh, part of the pandemic, essentially. Um, and uh, so I was there to sort of witness the downfall of Chinatown and all these Asian American small businesses that are sort of really struggling. Also, obviously, with the recent events that are happening in the United States, I think uh, that really contributed to um, me making that decision as well. I uh, had come across this Instagram post by one of the sons of one of the shooting victims in the Atlanta shooting recently. Um, And then he wrote a very, very honestly very heartbreaking post about how he feels uh very unjust about what everything that's happening and um just wanting sort of the world to be less hateful and then be a better place i mean after i saw that i was like oh that's so sad and then uh, i found his venmo information i sent him a hundred dollars i posted about it on my twitter but um i realized that you know this wasn't 
like a huge amount or anything, but, you know, for example, something like hopefully maybe with my NFT, it could be um, very impactful. And then so um, those are kind of reasons that contributed to my decision making there. Um, and obviously myself being Asian, I have experienced minor forms of racism or microaggression um, since a young age as well. So have you decided which charities that like specifically that you'll be donating to? Yeah, so we actually have been um, working pretty hard uh, with the volunteers over at Stand With Asians. So Stand With Asians is actually, um, they're sort of like a decentralized uh, volunteer group. They're not a charity themselves. And then so, um, but the volunteers there are awesome. And then I've been, what I've been spending my time doing for the past um, two weeks at least is sort of meeting up with them frequently, I mean, online. And then we would, uh, so they went out and came back with an extensive list of charities um, and nonprofit organizations uh, related to the cause. And then um, we would go over, sort of like go over the list and talk about uh, which ones we think, you know, uh, are more deserving of funds or less. And then, you know, we're also working on getting out a press release so that uh, we can open up applications too, you know, in case there's ones that we, we didn't find, but they're interested in applying for the grant, um, they can do that as well. And then um, the volunteers also have sort of people that they're working with, who are also able to sort of keep track on the transparency side for the charities as well to make sure, you know, that these funds are being put to good use. Um, and we all are sort of unanimously uh, more in support of um, underdog charities. So less so, um, you know, like national charities or something that have already probably a lot more resources or access to funds and then more focusing on underdog ones. But which also obviously means that sometimes they slip under the radar or they're a little bit harder to find or, you know, yeah, uh, it's still in the process. But our goal is to by the end of the month. So by April 30th, um, we'll have finalized the list and then be able to send out the funds. But uh, the funds are still in my public wallet, you know, so everybody can track it and see it there. And then we'll um, ultimately, you know, be working on just distributing that and then being transparent about that process. That's awesome that you guys are doing so much due diligence and really putting in the time and the research to find the right organizations to donate to instead of just saying willy nilly, you know, like, oh, yeah, this is like the the biggest API charity I've heard of. So I'm just going to send it there. I think that's awesome that you guys are putting in so much time and effort into really thinking through this. All right. So I want to talk about the actual art piece now. And I want you to walk us through that because there's a lot of thought that went into it. There's a lot of subtleties, um, a lot of symbolism that maybe people didn't pick up on if they just saw it once. And so let's start with the title of the piece. You titled this X times Y equals K. What does that mean, first of all? <laughs> That's the equation that is being used to determine um, the price of um, an asset on the bonding curve. The, the piece itself um, obviously includes a lot of themes that surround um, Uniswap-related uh, elements. So the obvious one being the unicorn and also the color pink. You know, there's a, a lot of other more subtle ones. Um, a lot of people were, uh, when the video came out, trying to guess what the little Easter eggs were in the second shot. Um, I can tell you guys it's uh, the first one that floats up is Ave. And then there's a, a uni pig, <laughs> which a lot of people were saying that it was it's um axes uh, axie infinity, but it's actually a uni pig. 
um, for optimism. And then there's a MetaMask box and then a Sybil thing, which is uh, like the, the purple ball with a white swirl around it. Um, and then also a rainbow uh, for the rainbow app. And um, the sort of noodle pasta looking things themselves are meant to represent the actual bonding curves. And then part of Uniswap V3 or one of their main features is that you can now select your own portion of the li- of on the price curve to provide liquidity. Um, and then so that's why uh, you see the sort of the bonding curves being separated sometimes into sections and then um, that section could slide around or there's colors um, being there to highlight um, sort of like that feature. And then the colors themselves could also uh, are representing different tokens that are sort of in their um, pool of assets. And then uh, in the third shot, um, pretty much the same thing. It is just meant to be sort of like trippy. And then you're um, seeing that the uh, bonding curves are sort of um, colliding with the unicorn. And then so they kind of meet together and, um, to find, you know, at the end, which is coming together in this um, environment, a uh, cohesive environment where they work together with Ethereum. And then there's a constellation above, um, which it also has a meaning, um, which is meant to represent the Uniswap liquidity pool formation um, which is this do your own research page uh, made by ZeroXDeFi that uh, maps out the data and how each of the different liquidity pools are all um, connected with each other. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That is so cool. I I have to admit, I mean, I definitely did not pick up on 90% of that when I watched it at first. I think I like sort of spotted the MetaMask Fox and that and maybe the rainbow wallet and that might have been it, but definitely thought, you know, it was like spaghetti flying around in the air and that was all part of like the otherworldly metaverse or you know whatever the background is so uh, you obviously put a lot of thought into this and giving like lots of shout outs to different DeFi protocols in subtle ways through the art but how did you originally draw inspiration for this piece or get the idea for how to make this you know like you said Uniswap pretty much put it in your hands 100% like the creative direction Um, so I mean this is just such an awesome piece like how did you even start with it? (laughs) Um, There was definitely a lot of discussion between myself and the designer at Uniswap. His name is Khalil. He's awesome. Um, Everybody should go check him out on Twitter. But um, yeah, so he and I bounced a lot of ideas off of each other. And then he told me about this short story um, that had to do with like a magical forest. And then um, sort of when he was describing the short story, um, what it what I was really seeing in my head was scenes from the Princess Mononoke movie. And then so that is also a huge inspiration for the piece as well. And I highlight all of these in my behind the scenes video. Um, So yeah, (laughs) it's an ongoing process always, you know, but I started um, by sort of having that image in my head and then I went and uh, sketched out a rough storyboard. Um, And then, so that kind of helps you solidify sort of like what is the abstract in your brain into something tangible on paper. And then from there, you can, you know, sort of really um, go even further and start to nail down um, details that might uh, help you visualize this image that you have in your head. 
And another thing too, just side note for people listening, you actually show a lot of behind the scenes on your Twitter of like how you make this stuff, which I think is super cool. So if you guys listening are interested in people pleasers process and seeing behind the scenes, definitely go check out her Twitter and you can see all that there. Um, So I want to move on and talk a little bit about the NFT auction. That was obviously like a, a really big part of this whole journey with a DAO being formed to purchase your NFT. But before we get into that, when you first listed this as an NFT, what were your expectations for how much it would sell for? Um, it's funny because I was talking with somebody about the reserve price because uh, every piece needs to have a reserve price. And then when that reserve price is met, then the auction officially kicks off for 24 hours. And then I wasn't really sure what to set the reserve price as. Um, and they suggested to do 8.88, which is like 88, which is good luck um, in Asian culture, obviously. And, um, you know, I wasn't going to obviously list it for 888 Ethereum. That's ridiculous. Um, and then point. 888 was maybe also an option, um, but so I was deciding between that and 8.88 and then ultimately decided to uh, go with 8.88. Um, but definitely when I set that initially, I was thinking, oh, this is a little bit high. And then um, when I was speaking with a Uniswap designer, Khalil, before as well, um, we were looking at some pieces on Foundation and we found one that sold for 10 ETH and we were like, wow, that's a lot. This is great. Um, so I was a little bit nervous that 8.8 was a little bit high uh, for a starting price, but pretty crazy that right when I listed it, somebody immediately came in with the first bid at nine. So I guess that wasn't an issue, <laughs> um, but definitely did not expect it to end up at the price um, where it did. Uh, I'm obviously super grateful and it was just a very, very crazy and humbling experience, I would say. <laughs> It's awesome how it played out. And then at what point did you find out that a DAO was being formed to purchase your NFT? I remember, you know, after kicking off the auction, um, I was just going about my day. At some point during the day, I had gotten a message from um, uh, this guy, Jameis, um, who had told me about the pull together co-founder Leighton Cusack's tweet about forming a DAO. And then Jameis had gotten in touch because he wanted to know if it would be possible um, for foundation to support Gnosis safe, because that's, I think how they were planning to sort of handle the the treasury and the multi-sig stuff. Um, and then I honestly, I didn't know. And then, you know, I wasn't sure if I could like, get in touch with foundation in time or something because the auction had was already going on. And then, but that, that's pretty much the, the extent of which I knew that this thing was um, happening. And then I didn't really know if they were actually going to bid or if they even, you know, ended up succeeding in sort of like getting the group together or anything. Um, so it was pretty surprising because they uh, didn't come out with a bid until uh, less than an hour left in the auction, I believe. So, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was going to talk about that next is so the auction starts and then it's um, it's, you know, not that it's not exciting, but it was kind of chill for or it hit 100 ETH, which is very exciting already. And then it sort of just like stayed quiet for I think it was like 12 hours or like all day. It was pretty quiet. And then it wasn't until the last hour of the auction that Pleaser Dow placed a bid. I don't even remember 
for how much, but then that started a bidding war between Pleaser Dow and I think like two other people or at least like two other usernames on Foundation that they just went back and forth, back and forth from basically 100 to 310 ETH, which is what it ended up selling for. Were you watching this in real time? And like, what, what was it like? I, I feel like I would have had like a, like a heart attack watching that in real time. Oh, uh, I was definitely a little bit. Uh, I had because it was morning of my time when that was happening. So I, I had actually just woken up to just sort of just catch the last hour of the auction. So when I woke up, I was obviously very confused because, you know, given that because um, when I initially woke up, I was like, oh, it's still at 100. I think that's going to be, you know, the end of the auction, which, you know, I was already super happy with, like far exceeded my expectations. And then so when the bidding war kind of started, I actually also completely forgot. I mean, I know that it's common practice for um, auction platforms to reset the shot clock um, for every 15 minutes when a new bid is placed. But I totally forgot that that was a thing. So um, I, you know, it, it like went on for quite a bit longer than I had expected it to. And then it's funny because my parents actually really wanted to go to lunch and they were like, what are you doing? Like, why are you in your room? And then I was like, wait, this like auction thing is still going on. I don't think really, they really understood what was happening. Yeah, I, I was definitely very nerve wracking. And um, <laughs> I, I, I was texting with one of my friends and then they were tracking the um, the other like the whale wallet that's not in the Dow. Um, so the other wallet, and because you can see that they were loading it with 100 ETH, you know, every new time that they were bidding um, from like Tornado Cash. And it was just, it was pretty wild. Like we were all just wondering, wow, this person, you know, where are they, where are these funds coming from? And, you know, it's obviously very exciting. Hopefully we'll be able to get Leighton on to talk more about the DAO side of things. But just wondering, have you had a chance to talk to him about like, what are the plans for Please Your DAO moving forward? There's some like leftover funds in the DAO. Do you know if they're going to return it to the people that pitched in or if they're going to keep it up and do something with the DAO? I don't know. Um, as far as I know, they nobody is interested in getting returned their funds. So they're all just going to keep it in the treasury. And then I think they're going to sort of commit the DAO to uh, further in- investing in, into NFTs and art and, and maybe more specifically DeFi art. I'm not really sure. Yeah, so they're definitely going to um, fractionalize the NFT and then um, maybe there's like some collaborations there or maybe opportunities to have a token involved as well. Um, but yeah, I, you'd probably have to talk to Leighton about those details because they they asked me if I was interested in being part of the DAO Telegram and I was like, this feels kind of weird. So I think I'd rather not be in it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I was also wondering, have they put any pressure on you to create more NFTs? Because they named the DAO, it's called Pleaser DAO. So do we only, you know, put our money towards people pleaser art or any DeFi protocol art? Or I definitely think and I hope that um, it's not just going to be a DAO that's specifically dedicated to collecting my art only and that it will also um, collect other people's art as well, which I'm pretty sure is what they're doing and what their goal is. Um, so I think it was a nice touch that they named it after me as this sort of like this auction is what kind of inspired or set it off. Yeah. Well, have you gotten pressure from the community at large to create more NFTs? I'm sure people have been, you know, DMing you or commenting on Twitter and things like being like, hey, you're so good at this. Like, why don't you make more NFT 
more NFTs and especially now that you've seen the potential for how much money you can make for it, like, are you going to make NFTs and sell it and profit from it? You know, like maybe in addition to donating it, like what are your plans for the future? Um, I think I've been sort of taking a little bit of time in the past two weeks to also um, take my time and think about how I'm going to approach next steps. Um, I, I would be interested in doing another uh, drop that would be maybe more like open edition as opposed to a one of one. And um, because I, I uh, had, you know, gotten a lot of messages or people expressing interest in owning my NFTs, but saying that they couldn't afford, you know, very, very expensive one of one NFT. And then so um, the idea of doing something that's like much more affordable and then more people can have um, is interesting to me. I definitely hope and would think that this would not be my last time doing an NFT drop for charity. Um, after this experience, it just kind of really showed me sort of the, the potential of, of this space and people coming together and coordinating. So um, that's really exciting to me. And um, hopefully, uh, you know, we can really see our funds uh, make direct impacts as well to to the, the charities that we will uh, eventually be um, give, giving them to. So um, that would probably make me more uh, motivated to do this more in the future as well. And then if you had to envision where we'll be in 10 years, which I know is impossible because of how fast things are moving even day to day, what would you envision the situation being in 10 years in terms of how NFTs are used? Like, is everybody just minting NFTs? You know, are people like, does everybody own at least one NFT? Like, what, what would you envision like life being like in terms of, you know, NFTs? <laughs> think anything can happen but yeah i don't think the technology is going anywhere um i do think that uh probably a lot more people will either know about or own nfts and you know probably in sort of either formats that they didn't even know are possible as of current as well so yeah i mean hopefully um it'll expand beyond just sort of like what the current sentiment is, which is just owning a GIF or something, which I feel like there's way more potential to expand beyond that. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of that with us. I always like to end every podcast episode with a segment called Explain Your Tweet, where I dive through your Twitter and I pull out some interesting or cryptic tweets. I will say you have some <laughs> pretty funny tweets and, you know, like obviously like the art stuff is all really cool. And then you just got some funny commentary in there as well. So I'd encourage everybody to go follow you. One tweet that I'll pull out, this is from earlier this year, January 7th. You tweeted, LOL, I made this shitcoin filter as a joke and Instagram actually approved it. I didn't, I've like, I've seen those on Instagram, obviously, but I didn't know, like, how do you make one, can anybody just make one of those and like send it out and have people use it? Or how does that work? Yeah, anybody can make it. Um, obviously, you have to know how to use the software. Um, and this sort of came from my um, like hiatus or that time that I was sort of waiting for my visa. I, I was experimenting well with all these different um, programs. And then so during that time, I also learned how to use Spark AR, which is the main um, program that was developed by Facebook for people to uh, create filters for um, you know, Instagram or also Facebook. 
And then, so yeah, I, I made that filter like completely from scratch, but I think there's a lot of uh, tutorials out there now that you can probably go watch, you know, if anybody's interested in going through the trouble of making their own filter. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of just made it for, for fun or as a joke and then um, submitted it to Instagram and then they actually approved it. So it's like literally a real usable filter now. <laughs> I actually love that. I mean, obviously, like, it's funny. It's a joke. But I, I also I spent a lot of my time thinking about like how to bring crypto to the masses. And I actually think that's a really good way, you know, like fun little things like that, where people might see that and they're like, oh, I can get all these like options. Like, what is Cardano? Like, I've never heard of this. And they'll Google it and learn more about the space. So maybe you can keep making more and more of these uh, that are <laughs> DeFi a, related. Yeah, and- I should do a DeFi one. <laughs> You should. Yeah, you you totally should. All right. And then the other tweet that I pulled out, this is from Christmas, actually, of 2020. You tweeted a photo of your grandpa and you said, why is my 96 year old grandpa beating me at Mahjong? And I just wanted to call that out because I thought it was so cute and wholesome. And um, also, I don't know how to play. So my grandparents would for sure beat me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know why I'm even surprised, you know, my 96 year old grandpa who has probably 70 years of experience playing Mahjong over mine, obviously, um, and him, you know, just being better at um, Chinese than I am. But um, it's sort of a, a way for me to spend time with him and doing an activity that we both enjoy. I think he really loves to play. And so, um yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, thanks again so much, People Pleaser, for being here. Before you go, I mean, I, I think most people already know how to find you, People Pleaser on People Pleaser One, actually, on Twitter. And is it the same handle on Instagram? Uh, it's just People Pleaser on Instagram. And um, yeah, on Twitter, there's a one because when I was signing up for my Twitter, the regular People Pleaser was already taken. So um, that's why there's a one there. But uh, on Instagram, it's just people pleaser, and then perhaps maybe some other parts of the internet as well um, that are maybe like less relevant. And then it can also find my website, which is on my Instagram as well. So <laughs> perfect, perfect. We'll link all that in the show notes. Have you found the people pleaser on Twitter, by the way, or have you reached out and tried to get the username? No, I haven't reached out to try and get the username. I, I want to be respectful of that. You know, I wouldn't. Yeah, this is the same thing as like an ENS or something. You know, you don't go around and assume that you deserve this handle more than anybody else. Um, But I just I feel sorry for her that a lot of times people are tagging me and then they tag the wrong person. and They tag her instead. Um, She probably finds that annoying. So, okay, well, I just looked her up and she has um, seven followers and is following zero people. (laughs) <laughs> so I, if it's an inact, I mean, if it's an inactive account, I feel like it's fair game to DM and say, hey, would you mind, you know, kindly. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again so much, people pleaser, for being here and sharing your story with us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And we'll, we'll be back again soon with another episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast and share this episode on social media with your network. 
And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. You can continue this conversation with us on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. We look forward to chatting with you and thanks again for listening.